time I look out into the crowd, y'all are jamming and dancing before we come up. Somebody say thank you to Jesus if you're glad to be in the house of God this morning. Come on, say thank you, Jesus. Man, it's so good to see each and every one of you. I don't know if it was the extra hour we got or what, but y'all seem like y'all are ready for church today. Amen. Well, I'm glad that we're here today. And before I jump into the message, I want to say a special welcome to a very special group of people who are joining us. Yes, we have our online family that's joining us, but we also have our middle school students who are actually watching this message right now in the chapel. So can we put our hands together and thank God for them? Come on, we can do better than that. Let them hear you in the house. So good that y'all are with us and thankful that we'll be able to take this journey together. Now, this is a wonderful day for you to be in church. Um, I've been praying about this message. I've been preparing, and I've been just kind of putting my mind and my spirit in the place that God wants us to be so that we can walk this thing out. And I want to let you know that probably like none other in the uh, near future or, or recent past, I have a burden today, and I have a very clear assignment. My clear assignment today is that before we leave this place, before we are dismissed, before we go about our day, I want you clearly to know that you know God, and I want you to know that God knows you. I want you to know that you know God, and I want you to know that God knows you. I want you actually to know, without a shadow of a doubt, that you know, that you know, that you know whether you are saved or not. And I know as soon as I say that, some of us are like, well, I've been in church. What is this, Sunday school? But I would venture to say there are a whole lot of people walking around with a form of godliness but denying the very power of God. I would venture to say that there are churches all around America, all around the world that are filled with people who think they're saved, but they actually are not. As a matter of fact, we've been on this journey for the last several weeks in this series called Look Both Ways over the last several weeks. And the focus that we've been talking about is eternity. And as we've been talking about eternity, we've said this thing over and over and over again. You may get tired of me saying it, but I'm going to say it again today. We've said that if you really love somebody, you will tell them to do what? Got a few people who've been paying attention. (laughs) If you really love someone, you will tell them to look both ways, meaning take an inventory of what this life looks like before you cross over to the other side. And as I've said that over and over again, that if you love someone, you'll tell them to look both ways. I want to slow down for a moment, and I want to say this very clearly, looking you straight into your eyes and say, I love you. I love you you too. (laughs) I love you, really. What Kendra and I, from the very top of our heart, we say. And I'm saying that because I want you to know this because what I'm going to share today is something that because I love you, I want to walk us through some things so that we're not walking around wondering with this lack of surety if we are going to actually go into the kingdom or not. And so as Jesus did at the end of his greatest sermon in chapter 7 of Matthew, he started to tell people, listen, there are only two choices. There's a broad path and there's a narrow path. There's one way to know that your eternity is secure. And what we've said over the last several weeks is that there's a very real hell. And that in that hell, it comes with eternal suffering. It comes with torment. It comes with damnation. It comes with agony. It comes with pain. But there's also good news because there's a very real heaven where we can have fellowship with God forever, where we can know that we can enjoy him forever, where we can have fulfillment, and we can actually be excited about that. But with all these things, this is what I want you to know. We've talked about the fear of the Lord, which means that we don't want to be afraid of God, but we want to be afraid of having distance between us and him because we want fellowship with him. On last week, Pastor Johnson, he talked about the fact that there are false prophets, people who will try to take you away from the truth of God, people who will try to give you a different narrative that is not true, but will have you believing something that is false all the way to hell. And today, somebody say today. 
Today we're going to deal with what I actually feel are probably the scariest three verses in the whole Bible. These verses are what keeps pastors up at night, and I want to make it personal. These particular verses keep me up at night. It keeps Kendra and I praying for you. It keeps us laboring among you in love to make sure that you get this. And I want to read these verses so that we grab it because it's not that it has to be so frightening if we understand what God is saying through it. And so why don't you turn to your Bible, your YouVersion Bible app, and it's going to be on the screen, to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. The Bible says this, this is Jesus, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, I don't know about you, but that's heavy. As loving and as gracious as Jesus is, he is also just as loving enough to tell us the truth. And I want to share my burden with you that I've been really just kind of navigating all week, and it really has kind of just put a burden on my heart. And as your pastor, the fear that I have is that there will be people here from Victory Midtown, people that watch us and worship with us online, who grow up here, who are baptized here, who join this church as members here who serve here, who tithe here, who give here, that will one day stand before Jesus and he will say, I never knew you. He will say, who are you? I know the church knows you, but do I know you? And I need to give us a very sobering lean in real quick because I haven't gotten one in a while. <laughs> and so if you're new here, just kind of lean up a little bit. I want you to hear me because this is a secret. Nobody else needs to know this. This is what I need us to know. It is very possible that you can spend every single Sunday of your life in church and still wind up spending eternity in hell. Amen. It's very possible that you can come in here, lift your hands, praise God all the way to hell. It's very possible that you can come and be a part of a small group, come and serve in the church, open the doors of the church, close the doors of the church. But then when you get to that day, Jesus says, I'm glad you did all of that, but I don't know you. On another note, there will be people who are walking around who think that because I'm doing good deeds, because I actually am committed to social justice, because I'm never mean to anyone, because they say, well, Jesus, I know about you. You know, I'm walking with a good vibration in this earth. I need you to know that that does not constitute access to heaven. And I can quickly hear even in my spirit people saying, well, Pastor Mo, I read the Bible. I actually even go after these principles of the Lord. I am walking this thing out according to the rhetoric of the scriptures. But it does not say in verse 23 that you just need to be able to know Jesus. It says it's not that I don't know you. You don't know me. And so as we grab this and as we take this journey and continue, this is what I need us to know. When Jesus says, I never knew you, what he's saying is that there's levels to this. He's saying, you can think you know me all day, but if there's not a mutual relationship, there's something missing right there. In modern day vernacular, it's kind of like social media. You know, many of us in, in the room can even say this. There are a lot of people who might follow you, but they don't really know you. I get this all the time when we're out and about in the city and you're doing different things. So people know me from different walks of my life, different seasons of my life. And they'll come up to me and they'll say, hey, I've been watching Maximus and I've been seeing what the church is happening. And I'll look at them and I'll say, I don't know you. <laughs> I'll smile at you. I'll wave. At, I'll even give you a hug. But if there's not a mutual relationship, there's still a gap in there. And so this is the danger of religion that we walk in today. Listen to this. The danger of religion today is that the trap of the devil is to get you to accept being religious so that you forfeit relationship. Let me say that one more time. The danger of religion, the trap of coming to church Sunday after Sunday, if you never really lean in with your heart, is that you can be so committed to being religious that you never experience the relationship of Jesus Christ. 
And what I'm talking about is true relationship, watch this, that changes you. Let me make it plain another way. Have you ever been in a relationship? I'm going to see if I have an honest church here at 11 (laughs) o'clock. Have you ever been in a relationship or a situationship? Yeah, 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 yeah. One of those that you thought was reciprocal. One when you're reaching out and you're doing all these things and your heart is given to this person. But what you start to see very quickly is that when you call and you text during the day, you can't get that person on the phone. You can't get that person to text you back until about 11 p.m. When you get those two cold words, you up? (laughs) And right there, you start to realize, I thought I was in a relationship, but this is actually false. And today, we're talking about that even in the spiritual, that a lot of people think they're in a relationship. They think they're on the narrow path. But when we start to do an inventory in our lives, we'll realize that we're on a broad path with everybody else. We'll realize that we really don't have access to that person of Jesus like we think we do. And so they may not realize it, but what's actually happening is there's a lot of people walking around operating as this term of being a false disciple. Yeah, it's easy for us to talk about false prophets. It's easy for us to identify that. It's easy for us to say, oh, this person is saying heresy. But how many of us that are walking as false disciples don't even know we're walking false? The Puritans would call it this. It would be called walking with the false peace, where you think you're on the narrow way, but as a matter of fact, you're not saved at all. It's like people who actually will go and jump off of a plane saying, I want to go skydiving. And at the moment when they, when they jump off and they pull that parachute, they realize that that bag that they had on their back did not have a parachute in it. But it had tissue paper. And I'm bringing these things to mind right now because I want us to grab the gravity of us needing to really understand what God says when he says, I know you. What he says when he says you're on the path or you're not on the path. And so here's the thing. The world is full of people who know Jesus' name but don't know him. Full of people who know his name, who can say things about him. If you remember the seven sons of Sceva in the Bible in Acts, they saw this man who was demon-possessed, and they got all big and bad. They said, okay, we're going to go cast this demon out. And they stepped up to this man who was demon-possessed, and real quickly they got a clue. Because they said, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, come out. I believe they were yelling at him, but how many of you know you can yell all day, but if you don't have any authority, nothing's going to happen. And in that moment, the Bible says that this demon-possessed man looked at them and was like, bruh. I believe this demon-possessed man was like, bruh, I know Jesus. I know even Paul, who you're trying to do secondhand information and authority through. But who the heck are you? And we have to take this to mind because a lot of times we will operate in that same way. We will walk out here with a full authority of Jesus, but we don't have any relationship that gives us that authority. And so the world is full of people, listen, walking around, doing things in the name of Jesus, but devoid of the authority of his name. And I have a very sober statement, as if I haven't already made a few, a very sober statement for us today. But as I look around this room, as I look online into this camera, as people are even in the overflow right now, as our middle school students are even hearing this message, and I want y'all to hear it too, there are people in this church today that think they're going to heaven that are actually on their way to hell if nothing changes today. And what we have to understand is that the greatest threat to a person walking as a true disciple of Christ is being deceived that you already are one. And so as we grab this work, I want to say this on behalf of our Lord and Savior, on behalf of God, that God does not want you living a miserable life walking around guessing if you will make it to heaven. He doesn't want you walking around unsure. He wants you to know that you don't have to hear those dreaded words, I never knew you. But there's good news. Somebody say it's good news. The good news is there is a way to know that you are saved. 
And so I want to clarify those things, and I want to just kind of approach this very soberly so we grab it. The first thing that we need to know as we get clear about it, as we leave here knowing that God knows us and that we know God, is that we have to grab this truth that we are saved by grace through faith and not by our works. Now, I know for some of us who have been in church for a while, that might seem elementary, but I want to talk through this for a minute. But I need you to say this with me. Say this. Say, I am saved saved by grace grace, through faith, faith, not by my works. works. Here's something that we don't do often in society anymore. I want to pose this question to you. Many of us, if you were to go to brunch today and you were to have a, a taco or some seafood and you found it was bad, And you found it was bad because all of a sudden you find that you're no longer living in this earth and it took you out. Yeah, that suddenly. You know, you didn't follow Keith Lee's recommendations. But for real, for real, the reason I bring that up is because many times people feel like they have a choice that they can get ready to prepare themselves to see Jesus. But there are going to be some times that in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we find ourselves leaving this earth and will be, we be ready when we face God and he asks us the question, why should I let you into heaven? And the reality is, and one of my fears and one of those burdens that I have as a pastor and as a shepherd is that if I was to pass a microphone around this room, there would be several different types of answers to why you would justify God letting you into heaven. If I was to go person to person, there would be people saying, well, I I go to church several times a month. Well, you know, I I give to the church and I give to the needy. My mom was a Christian. My grandmother was a Christian. But the challenge is a good deal of our answers will be related to our behaviors instead of our dependence on the Savior. And what we have to know is that we are not saved by the things we do. We are not saved by us positioning ourselves in the right way. We are saved by grace through faith alone. But here's what I need us to know. We need to have some people who can actually stand strong and say, I can clearly say that it's all because of Jesus. That while a lot of people are trying to talk about what they did, what they didn't do, how they postured themselves right, we need to be able to say it's all because of Jesus. Can we practice saying that right now? Say it all, it's all because of Jesus. It's not about my works. It's about his sacrifice that he made for me. So here it is. We need to know that God has given us keys. And I need to share this major key that we have to know that we are saved from sin and death. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Let's read this together. I'm going to read it for you, but I need you to hear it. Because this particular passage, it really breaks down how we can know that we know that we know that we are saved. It says this in verse 8, for it is by God's grace, his remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ, that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, not through your own effort, but it is undeserved, gracious gift of God, not as a result of your works, nor your attempts to keep the law so that no one will be able to boast, take credit in any way for his salvation. Can I make this announcement and make it very plain? We could not and we cannot earn our salvation. We could not and we could not earn our access to heaven. Your good will not be, will never be good enough to get you into heaven. It is only the work that Jesus has already done by dying on the cross for your sins and allowing you to receive this gift of grace. And as I say that, I want to just repeat that we are saved by grace. Again, I'm saying this over and over again because, again, we we can go off in all types of things. But if we don't grab this hinge point, we'll be lost. So what is God's grace? God's grace is him giving us what we don't deserve. As a matter of fact, the word tells us that he gave us what we didn't deserve when we were at our worst. He actually gave us his best. And when we look at grace, we need to know that grace is God's remarkable compassion of favor. Hear this word again, drawing us to Christ, drawing us to Christ, drawing us to Christ, where we have access to him through faith. But here's a turn that I need to take because this is something that's really just been on my heart the last couple of days. 
is that the first thing we need to know is that even though you might think you made a conscious decision to follow Jesus, I need to let you know that before you were even thinking about Jesus, he was thinking about you. Before God was even formed in your mind to be one you really follow, he was searching after you. The Bible says he knocks. He knocks. He knocks. And for some of us, he's still knocking even right now. See, there's this term called provenient grace, which means that this is the grace of God in a person's life that precedes conversion. What does that mean? That means grace that precedes means that when you found yourself not thinking about God, about God he said, I got a radar on you. And when I was thinking about this even last night, we were sitting down eating dinner, and I started getting excited. I started preaching to Maximus in the living room. I looked at him and I started to think, and I said, when I thought I was just a good enough person to go to heaven, God said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm drawing you to me. When I was that person in my earlier years that I got the superlative, most likely to tear the club up every weekend, God says, you can be in the club all day, but I'm still drawing you. For some of us in here, you think it's just me. When you were hoeing around and you were sleeping with somebody that was not your spouse, God said, I know you're having fun right now, but I'm still going to draw you. For some of us that found themselves bent over a a bar stool saying, I'm throwing up, I got some bad drugs, God said, I'm still having my eye on you and I won't let you go because I'm drawing you. When you thought you wanted to run away from him and you tried to move and move and move and say, God, I don't want anything to do with you, he said, "Uh, I'm drawing you. I'm drawing you. I'm drawing you. He said, I'm still knocking. I'm still knocking. For some of you right now, as I'm doing this, he's knocking on your heart right now. For some of you, you're saying, okay, I never want anything to do with God, but God is saying, my provenient grace says I'm coming after you. He's saying that even though you don't think you need me right now, I'm still coming after you. And so I need us to know that God is so rich in mercy that even when we swerve him, he said, I'm not going to take that swerve. I'm still drawing you. I'm still drawing you. I'm still drawing you. Many of us in this room have a testimony that you would say that in my darkest hour, in my most high moment, in the time where I thought I was dead and gone, God said, I'm still there for you. And I believe I got about 13 people in the room that if they could just clap their hands right now, they would be a witness to somebody else. I believe that if I have just a few people that can say it was by God's grace, that I might be dignified and I might be quiet right now, but if I look back over my life from where I came from, if you can see me back in the day, you would understand that I didn't always clean up like this, that sometimes I was in this dark place and God said, I'm drawing you to me. And so it was his provenient grace that said, you might not think you need me now, but I got my eye on you. I just need to pause for a moment because I just feel I need to stay right here for a second. Because many of us, what we do is we go and we think, okay, I made this decision now. Now I'm ready. And God is saying, you will never be fully ready for what I have for you. So it's me pulling you to myself with my grace that is sufficient. I need you to repeat this after me. Say this. Say, I did not. I I cannot cannot earn God's grace. Come on, say it one more time. Say, I did not, not, I cannot cannot earn God's grace. grace. This is key because when we get this, it actually breeds a different level of humility. What happens with people who become self-righteous is they forget where they came from. What happens with people that get self-righteous is, again, they believe themselves with the lie that says, I chose God. And what we need to know is that it is the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. If God wasn't good, you wouldn't even be thinking about him. And so as we look at this, as we grab it, we can't just take this with head knowledge. We have to get this deep down in our spirit. We have to get this to a point that it becomes a part of us. This truth has to become so deep in us that it kind of oozes out of our being. I love how Martin Lloyd-Jones said it. He said this. He said, to be a Christian means that we rest our entire case, our whole salvation, our whole eternal destiny entirely upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, that is why a true Christian says, Lord, Lord. It does not mean saying, just saying the right things. It indicates that we mean those words when we say them. 
So as we look at this, my question is, when you've called out to the name of Jesus, did you really mean what you said? Did you say it because of peer pressure around you? Did you say it just because you were having a bad time in life at that time? Or, or did God get deep down in your spirit? Did he grab you in a way that you knew you didn't have any other hope but him? And so there's a major key that I want to kind of just walk us through real quick, and it's called saving faith. Somebody say saving faith. Saving faith is the understanding that must be grasped in our spirit. And what it means is that, number one, we have to receive this truth informationally. Receive it in a way that we know we're having the right information by our submission to Jesus Christ. Then, number two, what we have to do is we have to accept this fact that as we process this truth, that we believe it in our own bodies and in our own minds. But it doesn't stop there because once we believe it, we have to go to this vital place of personal trust. Somebody say personal trust. This personal trust now takes us to the place where this belief moves from your head to your heart. Where this belief moves not just from something you say, but it actually oozes out of everything you do. That when people see you, they actually say, my, you've changed. And you don't say, no, no, I didn't change. You know, yes, I sure did. Because I've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus over my life. And the reason why it's so important for us to understand this truth on these three levels is because if we're not careful, we'll think it's good enough just to believe in Jesus. Now, some of you are like, well, what are you talking about, brother pastor? What I'm saying is that it is not just enough to believe in Jesus. Why? Because the devil believes in Jesus. As a matter of fact, in James 2.19, it says this, you believe that there is one God, good. But even the demons believe that. The demons believe that and shudder. So what makes you different from the demons? The demons know and believe in Jesus, but the big difference is they're not going to heaven. Why? Because they never put their personal trust in Jesus. And until you put your personal trust in Jesus, I would venture to say you're on the same level with a demon. And the reality is some of the reasons why we go into cycles over and over and over again because we've kept ourselves on that level and we are not moved to a personal trust that changes us. Because when we actually get it where it changes us, we understand that there's a very big difference. There's a very big difference with believing Jesus is the Lord and then now making Jesus your Lord. Come on, can I get somebody to say that with me? There's a big difference between just knowing Jesus is the Lord, between making him your Lord, where you actually give your life to him. And so that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the fact that it's not just enough to know the right things. How many of us, we know we should eat right. But as soon as we go brunching, fried chicken, macaroni and cheese, collard greens, I'm a little hungry. So we have to be able to make the choice, am I just going to believe and stay on that level, or am I going to make Jesus the full Lord of my life? And so I want to read this scripture that's a very familiar passage of scripture, Romans 10 and 9, but I want us to read it with a different lens right now. The Bible says this in Romans 10 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is the Lord, and what? Believe, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's be clear about this. This is not just talking about believing so that you actually take in the information. When you really look at the origin of the word believe, it actually means to completely trust. Here's what I need us to know. Faith is where we completely trust in Jesus. We completely trust in Jesus says he who he is and what he says he will do. Faith, completely trusting in God, is saying, God, I'm not just going to say these words with my mouth, but I'm going to put my weight on you. Because when we do that, we're now able to say, I'm not just going to do my will, I'm going to do the will of the Father. And so a lot of times in church, we get a little confused because there's all these things and there's all, these, all this theology, and sometimes we get kind of caught up in the rhetoric of things. But what if we could actually know what the will of the Father was? You know we can, right? It's an open book test. God tells us right here in John chapter 6, verse 40, he says this, listen, for this is my Father's will and his purpose, 
that everyone who sees the Son and believes in and cleaves to and trusts in and relies in him should have eternal life. He says, and I will raise him up from the dead at the last day. Here it is. That's the will of the Father, that we truly believe in him with the fullness of who we are, that we believe in a place that it goes and translates from information to actual revelation, that we believe in God in a way that this information now goes to be a deep commitment where we say, God, I can trust you with my life. God, I know I've been trying to do this thing all on my own for so long, but obviously it's not working out. That even if I think I'm doing good right now, you have more plans to prosper me, to give me a greater hope in the future, plans to do me good and not to harm me. But we have to believe him. And so there's this actual account of this daredevil that I want to share with you that that back in the 1800s, his name was the Great Blondin. And what he would do is he would tightrope over the Niagara Falls Canyon. And what he would do, there would be thousands of people. They have records that there have been 10,000 people that was out there watching him doing these great feats of being a daredevil. And so what he would do is he would warm up the crowd a little bit. He would kind of go back and forth and do some tricks and kind of get them real ready and riled up. And then once he knew he had them ready, he would say this. He would say, who believes I can actually walk across this canyon on this tightrope? They're like, yeah! (laughs) Then he would say, Who believes that I can actually take somebody and put them on my back and walk across this canyon? They would say, yeah. Then he would ask him the question, who wants to be that person that comes on my back to walk across this canyon? (laughs) Crickets. 10,000 people that were loud in one moment shifted in a moment until one person stepped up and said, I believe it. I have trust in it. I have Faith in what you can do. Can you put that picture on the screen? This is a real account. You had 10,000 people who in a moment they all believed, but one person had faith. You had 10,000 people who in the crowd, the Broadway, would say, is this possible? They said, yes, it's possible. But you had one person that would actually say, I'm going to put my weight on it. And this is a picture of saving faith. This is a picture of real faith. This is a picture of when it goes from intellect to actually a conviction where we can walk this thing out. And so that's what I'm talking about right now when I say we are saved by grace through faith. You have to put your weight on it. You have to be a person that says, I'm not just going to go with the crowd and believe something is true. I'm going to take the next step and say I have faith in it. Amen? So if you've done that, If you put your weight on it, if you'd allow God in your life to a point where you say, with all the things going on where I could be fearful, I'm saying, God, I trust you, then you're saved. If you've given your heart to him in a moment that you can actually let everything about you be submitted to him, then you're saved. But I want to tell you another thing. Number two, we have to be able to know that we are saved by understanding that faith will produce works. Faith will produce works. Now, I can sense some people in the room, especially some of us who have been saved for decades, getting a little anxious, saying, well, brother, pastor, what about the works? James says faith without works is dead. I got two things for you. Number one, I'll say, calm down. (laughs) And number two, I would say we have to be people that don't confuse the gospel requirement for what the gospel produces. Let me say it again. We have to be very careful to be be those who don't confuse what the gospel requires with what the gospel produces. What do I mean? Salvation is us being saved by grace through faith. But hear this. Faith will never be alone. Faith will never be alone because faith will always come with obedience and evidence. The evidence of the fact that you have faith is that you are obedient. Somebody's like, ugh. The evidence that you actually have faith in God is that you submit the way you want to do certain things to the way God wants you to do those things. Because if you are truly born again, hear this, your life will show it. If you're truly born again, people should be able to pick you out of a lineup. And the challenge that we have in the modern society is that we don't want to be picked out of a lineup except for when we're on church posting that we went to church. 
But when we get into our everyday lives, Monday through Saturday, does people know? Do people know that you're saved? Do people know that you go to church other than the fact that you told them? Because if your fruit is showing, that's the evidence. Because when you place your faith in Jesus, watch this. God's grace was not just to save you. God's grace was to save you, but also to empower you to have victory over sin. Which means you don't have to be subject to the old vices that you've been running to. You don't have to keep going through the old same cycle over and over again. As a matter of fact, I feel like in the room, even in this moment, and those watching online, and even our middle school students, some of us have given up and said, well, God can't touch that. God is good enough and big enough to save my soul, but he's not big enough to change my lifestyle. And I just want to intercede for you right now. Can everybody just lift your hands right now? Because you might not say it, but I believe there's some people in this room that you know you're not operating at the full capacity of who God called you to be. There's some people in this room that as you lift your hands, this acknowledgement right now is God saying, you've opened the door and I want to step in. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare even prophetically right now that those areas that we've been hiding behind, those areas that we've had as vices in our lives, those areas that we've said, God, you know, I'm going to always just be this way my entire life. Father, I break that in the name of Jesus. Father, I say right now, come into our hearts, come into this room, be established at, with the throne of our hearts right now, and let us know that if we can submit to you, you can change everything for your glory. Father, I pray right now as shepherd, I cancel every wolf that has tried to lead every person away from the knowledge of God, and I declare that we will be those people who are walking in the newness of life with an understanding of deliverance and freedom in the name of Jesus. Somebody put your hands together and receive that right now. Come on, come on, just clap your hands for a moment. Somebody needs to clap right now because the devil is actually trying to mess with some of y'all's minds right now, saying, ah, that was just a prayer. But I believe right now somebody needs to know that my deliverance is real. Somebody needs to know that I've been walking around this mountain way too long. Somebody needs to know that my generations won't be cursed anymore. Somebody needs to know that I'm stepping into a newness of life, that my bloodline has just shifted because of my decision. Somebody needs to give God praise. Come on. This is not scripted. This is a moment of intercession. God says, make my hands to war and my fingers to fight. Somebody needs to clap your hands right now and say, I'm doing battle in the spirit for my children's children, for my nieces, for my nephews, from those people who have an assignment of the devil on their life. But right now, in the name of Jesus, we are walking in freedom that will make us free. Somebody give God praise in this place. Come on, give God praise. Come on, come on, lift your hands right now. Come on, just lift your hands. Father, I'm declaring right now that you knew this moment would happen. That there are some people who came to church because it was the thing to do today. But I declare, God, that because they have come in this divine timing, that you have just made them an interruption in their bloodline. Father, I'm speaking to those who are even pregnant in this room right now, who are carrying children that will be world changers. I'm declaring right now that people who have children in this room, that you will deliver full term. That not only will you deliver full term, but your children will shake the world. Father, I'm thanking you right now that we will look back on this moment years later and be able to say, I remember the moment when everything changed. I remember the moment that I didn't have to succumb to the vices of the enemy. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I accept this as truth with belief that I can put my weight on. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. I don't know about y'all, but I believe that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's faith that works. It's faith that works. It's faith that I am tired of seeing people all over the nation go to church week after week and operate in destruction and operate with vices and operate as, that, as those that are just like the world. The passion of my heart is that I will not pastor and continue to do this if we're not able to really see people change into the image of God. And I believe that God has not just set us up to be in this area right here in Midtown, but he has called us to change Atlanta because as we're changed, we are changing other people. Do I have any agreement in the room? 
There's a revelation that we have to know about our faith in Jesus. And this revelation is so simple. I've said it already. That when you put your weight on him, he can change everything. I'm sorry, y'all, but I just, I'm feeling this right now. There, there are people in here that God is so sensitive to that he's saying, I am warring for you right now. I am drawing you right now. This is not a Sunday to come in here, hear a message, go out and do the same thing you've been doing. Because the reality is that the Bible says, when you hear the word of the Lord, harden not your heart. And so if we can receive this, I believe God says, this is the moment that your life shifts. It's not about other people. It's not about what a preacher says. It's about what I said about you before the foundations of the earth. And so here's what I need us to know. When we place our faith in Jesus and God saves us and empowers us, I love how D.A. Carson says it. He says this. He says, no man enters the kingdom because of his obedience. But it is equally true that no man enters the kingdom who is not obedient. It is true that men are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. But it is equally true that God's grace in a man's life is inevitably the results in obedience. In short, he's saying, if you're truly saved, your life is going to show it. If you're truly saved, you can actually say that I'm a Christian for real. And here's the thing. I want to make this clear because over the years, people have gotten caught up in this. If you're a Christian, will you sin? Yes, you probably will. But that's why God's grace is there. But here's the thing. If you're really a Christian and you sit in a room like this, you hear a message, you worship God, and you go out and intentionally do the same thing that you know you're not supposed to do, that's where I would have you ask yourself, am I really a Christian? And what has happened is that in society, we've normalized walking in sin for the sake of the applause. We've normalized looking the other way because it's popular to be in relationship with you. And I believe that if I have to walk by myself, I'm going to walk in obedience with God. And I believe I have some people in this room that says, for God I live, for God I die, and if nobody else goes with me, I'm going to live for him. Somebody say amen. So here's the thing that we need to know. We cannot, and I'm going to say it like I heard it, we cannot make Jesus a convenient side chick. Where when we need a pick-me-up, when we need to feel a certain way, we go pick him up and then put him down. I heard this. I said many people in the body of Christ have been seeing and using Jesus as a jump-off. Because they know that their lives are, are in shambles, but they will not give their full lives to him because they're afraid of what they will look like. They're afraid of the relationships they'll lose. But I'm here to let you know that when you accept Jesus, all the things you think you lost, they're actually setting you up for a bigger comeback. That all the things you think you lost, God is setting you up to give you the fullness of what he has for you in his life. And so when we do this, what we're saying is that God... When I submit to you, I'm bowing my knee to everything that you say I'm supposed to walk in. What does that mean? I bow my knee when he tells me that I need to fix my attitude and how I treat other people. I bow my knee when he starts to speak to my sexuality and sexual sin. I bow my knee when he starts to speak to my finances and what I've now made an idol. I bow my knee for anything that's out of order according to the scriptures. Because if we do not walk in that, what we'll do is we'll actually have this sentiment in Luke 6, 46, where Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? See, if you're going to call Jesus your Lord, you got to do what he says. And what he's wanting us to do is to have full submission with him. And so if you fully submitted to him, if you're not just doing this convenient gospel, then you can know you're saved. Which brings me to the last thing that I need to say today. How can I know that I'm saved? I must know and accept that my sin is not stronger than his salvation. I must know without a shadow of a doubt 
that my sin is not stronger than his salvation. Now, I need to say this clearly because I'm going to share with you again another burden of my heart. And I want to just kind of walk through this because here's the thing. If you have confessed with your mouth, if you believed in your heart to the point where you completely trust in him and you put your weight on him and he's entered into your life to change everything radically, and you now are allowing the Holy Spirit to change you, you need to know that you are saved. You need to know that it is a done deal. You need to know, I say it like this, that you do not have to keep putting Jesus back on the cross. That he died for your sins once and for all. And I'm saying this, listen, because as a pastor, as a preacher, when I stand up here and I, and I preach a message and, and weekly we come and we do a call to salvation, and I see the same people put their hand up every week. I, put the, I see the same people put their hand up again thinking they're getting saved again. And I need to let you know that you don't have to get saved again and again and again. You, you might need to repent because some of y'all are like, well, I sinned this week. Yes, you did. <laughs> but here's the thing. Don't confuse salvation with sanctification. Don't confuse the fact that God did it once and for all with the fact that, yes, you need to keep coming to him, repenting, saying, God, I'm turning away from those old things. I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to move in my life so that I do not even recognize my old self again. And so when you know this, again, those who have submitted to God, you are saved. You don't have to hear those words, I never knew you. And I want to give you some more assurance. John, he says this in chapter 10, verse 28. Listen to this. He says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one, say no one. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What Jesus is saying right there is, I don't care what you have heard. Nobody has more power than my blood. I was thinking about this, and, and I know a lot of us, you know, if you use computers and you use different websites, a lot of times they'll suggest and say, you need a strong password. You need a strong password to secure what's happening in this particular computer. And I just had this thought that some of us need to know that God has a password over your life, that the devil cannot go past and bypass and, and get to take you out. And that password is spelled the blood. That password is spelled T-H-E-B-L-O-O-D. That means that every time you think about falling off, that every time you think that the devil is coming after you, every time that you think that you are going backwards, God is saying, my blood has already paid the price. That my blood has already sealed you. That my blood is making sure that you're alive and well. And so it is the cry of my heart today. I hope you sense it. I hope you feel it. It is the cry of my heart that if you have been saved, that you know, that you know, that you know that you're saved. But here's the thing. If you're not, you can change that today. And so I want to take this moment. I do want you to bow your heads for a moment. Because I believe that today God has been knocking on some of our hearts to make sure that we answer that call. And so if you're in here today and you realize, even through me preaching this message, that, yes, I've been going to church for a long time, but I'm really not saved. I have never really submitted my life to Jesus. Boldly, I want you to throw your hand up real quick. If you're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus for real, for real today, put a line in the sand and say, God, I don't only want you to be my Savior, I want you to be my Lord. Throw that hand up. Throw that hand up. I see you all over the room. Now, boldly, I need you to do something else. Why every head is about stand up right there where you are. Don't think about it. Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. God is saying, I want you to be able to walk through this narrow gate. And if you can't stand up in the safe place of a church, I don't want to be one who denies you in front of my father. With you standing, I want us to pray this prayer all over this room. All together, say, Jesus. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for me. Today, I intentionally repent, which means I'm turning away from my way of doing things, and I'm turning towards your way. I'm trusting you with my whole heart. I'm trusting you with my life. I'm putting my weight on you. 
and saying, God, I need you to direct me. Today, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior, and I know that my salvation is secure. It's in Jesus' name that I can say that I'm a child of God. Amen, amen, and amen. Can we give God praise in this place? Come on, everybody in the room, just stand up on your feet right now. Stand up on your feet right now. Stand up on your feet right now. This is what we're going to do. Some of y'all in this room just made the greatest decisions you could ever make. And this is not just this thing that we want to clap about and be cute. We are saying literally your life just changed. And what we have today is we have an opportunity. There have been several people who have already pre-registered to say, hey, I'm going to get baptized today because I'm going to make this public declaration of my acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as Lord. If that's you in this room, I want you to go out to this back door to my right, and we're going to prepare to make sure that you're able to get baptized so we can celebrate with you. While they're moving, and if you're with them, you can go ahead and go with them. While they're moving, let's clap our hands and let's celebrate those who are getting baptized today. Come on, we can do better than that. Let's celebrate those who are getting baptized today, who are declaring that, God, you are my God. Lord, you are my Savior. You are my King everlasting. Come on, clap it up, clap it up. There's some people walking out here, and they're taking a new step in Jesus today. Now, here's the thing. There's some of you in here that you may have just made that confession of faith. Others of you that you didn't come with the intention of getting baptized, but in this moment, as the Lord has been prompting even through this message, you said, listen, I need to wash some old things off. I've been operating in status quo, kind of going with the crowd for a long time. And today I need to make an intentional decision to send a signal to heaven and a signal to hell that I am no longer the devil's. And watch this. There's even one of you or two of you that you just got your hair done yesterday. And, and you're like, oh, Brother Pastor, I don't know about that. I spent $175 to get this in. How much did Jesus pay for you? Is it worth you walking out of here missing a moment that can literally send you in a new trajectory? Or you just want to look good? And so if that's you, whether you got your hair done yesterday or not, we want to dismiss you because we have the clothes you need, no excuses. We got the shorts, we got the shirts. I think we got even some head wraps back there. So if this is you in here and you say, I need to make a step, some of y'all feeling it, you wish I would just be quiet right now. Some of y'all say, is that me? Is that me? Look at somebody next to you and say, is that you? Come on, look at somebody and say, if that's you, I'll walk with you. If that's you, I'll walk with you. Come on, turn to your neighbor. Say, if that's you, I'll walk with you. Come on, you can be dismissed right here. I see you. Clap it up. Clap it up. I see you. This is what we're going to do. We're going to worship God like we lost our mind. Because we did just lose our old mind and we stepped into a new mind with God. And so we're going to join our brothers and sisters that are being baptized. We're going to see some of them on the screen. But in this moment, let's give God the praise that he deserves. And let's declare that he is our firm foundation in Jesus' name. In Jesus.